Okay, okay, everybody slow down. I have had a very, very bad day, and I would like to know exactly what the fuck is going on here. Sydney? Cotton, meet Billy Loomis's mother. She's the killer. What? And who's that? The other killer, Mickey. Okay. Look, Cotton. Shut up. So, I... You're uh, not to be sold, are you? You're not with the post-telegraph. No, but I can still help you, Cotton. <laughs> you don't need her. Let me kill her! As long as she's alive. You're never gonna be the lead story. That's what you really want, isn't it, Cotton? If you really want to be in the spotlight, just let me kill her right now. Then you're the only survivor. You're the star. She sent you to prison for a year. Personally, I think it's rather poetic. We are now in the third edition of no, the Capricorn Cotton, Saga. Um, if I haven't made this clear, Capricorn is final girl season. It is a time of survival and winning at any cost. Uh, today we are celebrating one of my favorite things in the world, which are the Scream movies. We have a new Scream film coming out on January 14th, uh, the first in 10 years. Um, perfectly released during Capricorn season. Uh, as part of the celebration, I have welcomed two of my dearest um, favorites. We have returning Luminaries guest Jake Cornell and the beloved Brian Bahi. Uh, welcome to both of you. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. <laughs> okay. So I guess, first of all, can you both just clue me in on how you got into these movies and just this whole part of the culture generally? So what I'll say is I'm realizing in this moment, like Scream is huge for me. Scream has been huge for me for, I would say like 15 years, maybe longer than that. No, maybe like, I definitely loved the Scream movies when Scream 4 came out, but I'm realizing now I have no memory of when I like first fell in love. Like I th it must have been one of them being rerun on television and me watching like the TV version. But I don't, it feels so like, oh yeah, Scream is a, a, a perfect movie that I love and is part of my, my like identity. <laughs> but I don't actually remember when I onboarded that. I understand. Uh, yeah. Brian? Um, Scream for me has been huge since I was a, a child. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I saw the movie until I was like, maybe like 10, 11 ish. But I remember like oh. being at my cousin's house and like playing with their, <laughs> her Barbies. And we like played scream with her Barbies, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which sounds like how like, you know, like an actual serial killer is like origin story. Um, yes. But then I did tell David this that there was one summer in high school when all I, I would watch Scream Three, every, literally every single day. <laughs> I have a feeling that you Scream, Scream Three, is three every take... single day. Every single day. <laughs> it was like the one movie that we had, like DVD or whatever. Oh my god! <laughs> Which like that's perfect. Like if you're gonna have to watch a movie every day, like it should be that you know it was like i would watch like today i was like i would wake up like watch today and like watch all like the morning shows or whatever and then i would like watch like whatever was on like mtv and then around like two three ish i would just like pop in scream three and just like let it play <laughs> yeah um and we're all buffy girls so i think like Deeply, jake even yeah. even you saying like that you don't know when it entered your consciousness I'm like, we understand the sequence of events that would have led to you discovering it. You know, we understand yeah. how you got to it. A hundred percent. I also will a, say like, I, yeah, woman on a mission. I will say that like, I think part of it was also, I had like a, I went through a bout when I was like maybe nine, 10, where I was like, 
I had a year where I was like, I was really struggling with nightmares. And so I was afraid of watching anything scary because I was like Same. trying to not trigger nightmares. And I didn't know. I also don't think I would have understood the, necessarily the like parody satire tone of Scream. And I didn't know that it wasn't like, I just assumed like Scream must be the scariest fucking movie out there. Cause it's like such a popular horror film. And so then to like find out, like watch it later and be like, Oh wait, no, this is like, genius was like i think a little bit more of like a gratifying reveal to be had yeah my stepmom took me to see scary movie in theaters and i was when my stepmom took me to see scary movie and then when my mom took me to see sweetest thing i was just like i truly was too young to understand any of what was happening and my stepmom was how old were you when your mom took you to sweetest thing that <laughs> like is a, way too young that is um, so funny i just like I literally didn't even know, like, I didn't understand what was going on in the scene where Thomas Jane eats her out. Like, I just didn't get it. And then when we saw Scary Movie, which, like, heavily uh, paradises the first two screams, yeah, my stepmom was horrified that I, uh, by what she was exposing me to, but I just, like, again, had no idea what was going on. And then when Bride of Chucky came out, I saw the preview on TV and was so terrified that i couldn't sleep for months so yeah i think i'm similar to you jake where i was like no way i could never handle this but then there's something about being gay and like 14 when you want to start finding things that are like bitchy and fucked up yeah, and yeah. like we come from this really we came of age at this really interesting time where like you know i always talk about this but all the movies that came out before 9 11 there's like Bring It On, Sugar and Spice, Drop Dead Gorgeous, The Scream Movies, Charlie's Angels, like Josie and the Pussycats, like they're all really jacked up and like violent movies, like with women being. Yeah, cheap. I would say the I would say the ultimate example of that is Jawbreaker. That is the pinnacle. Jawbreaker. Oh my god. Yes, exactly. Where it's like high school girls, fashion, murder, like, and that's yeah. just like a genre. Yeah. Jawbreaker was huge for me. Jawbreaker was huge for me. So I, the part, the part where she makes him give oral to the popsicle. Uh, like, literally, I was like, <gasps> I would yeah. watch that and then play Scream with Barbies with my cousins. That scene in Jawbreaker, it's like, how is this legal? Like, it is crazy <laughs> that that happened. It's like, uh, can you imagine thinking up that scene and being like, yeah, I'm gonna write this. I'm gonna write that she like. <laughs> That's so. Rose McGowan probably... was a genius. Like she really was tapped into something back then. Also, Scream Two. I'm. I decided to rewatch. I didn't finish Scream Three, but I was rewatching it in preparation for this podcast. And Scream Three is so funny. Like I'm literally laughing so hard at it. It's so good. Yeah. Let's just start there actually i think we can talk about scream 3 as much as we want because scream 3 is like there is no genre for it it's like it's pure satire like it's not yeah. it it's like a, about trauma and it like has a really beautiful arc for nev campbell but like it is so it's surrealist like it isn't mm -hmm. a linear horror movie in any way um like how, how would you even describe it you know well like oh. i guess okay <laughs> so i guess like my thing my thought process with it is is like the first two movies like scream one and scream two are almost camp in disguise like yeah they you could watch them and sort of take them at face value as like a horror slasher and not think about like the the kind of like second layer that's happening of like the commentary on horror movies. Also like there's stuff that has aged into campiness like Laurie Metcalf, Drew, like these things <laughs> have kind of become something that they weren't at the time. Yeah. And I think it kind of like almost gets to keep them in the closet a little bit where like the masses, like the, the heterosexual masses can watch Scream 1 and Scream 2 and be like, these are normal horror movies. I don't have to feel like I'm being interrogated with anything. And then Scream 3 crosses the line into like full camp, like Jenny McCarthy playing a fucking actress in it. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it crosses this line into something else where I think people are like, is this gay? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I think that's why it was panned in this way where it's like, I think it had this vitriolic reaction where it's like, 
it was the silliness is like threatening to the identity of a certain um, cohort of horror movie watchers. Yeah. But I think that's what makes it kind of brilliant and exciting. I feel like Scream 3 was like, it, there was like a gap between like one and two, right? Like there was like two, it was like one, then two. And then I feel like there was like several years be, and then three came out. Yeah, so let me two. see. Cause they banged them all out pretty, uh, pretty quickly. The biggest um, gap was definitely three and four. Right. Well, and um, then now right. four and five. So Scream 2, wow. Uh, Scream 1 was 1996. Scream 2 was 1997 and Scream 3 was 2000. So, yeah. Yeah. And the thing about Scream 3 is also like Scream 1 actually did change the world. Like slasher movies weren't, slasher movies had basically been written off as dead by that point. Scream completely revived them. And Scream, it, Scream 1 is this like moment of, it's kind of the end of the 90s culture wars or it's like the re-escalation of the 90s culture wars where it's basically like all of this all of these debates going on in the 90s about like al gore's wife thinking that um video games like video games are mortal combat causes violence like all of that escalated in and became scream and then scream became this new thing and then scream 2 like really very very politically like goes in and deals with that um and like addresses that and then scream three it's this thing of like the decade is ending we're going into a new century and it's like i don't know it's like the whole world has just become woodsboro at this point you know yeah totally like the story becomes instead of being isolated to this one town and like the tone being isolated to this one town it's now like this is endemic of the world that these movies take place in and wow. like the world that we're in because it's set in LA. Like, I don't even know how to have this conversation without like crawling up my own asshole. But like the idea of Scream 2 opening in the movie screening premiere of Stab, which is based on Scream 1 and like having the murder in the movie theater is so like beyond, 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 you know? Yeah. It's so smart. I would have never. <laughs> I'm like, damn, they actually know what they're doing with these movies. <laughs> well, I think also part of it was like, it's kind of like, <clears throat> I feel like David, what you're talking about is sort of like the heightening of like modern culture becoming a mirror of the facade that Hollywood creates and then how, and so like, Whereas like in the 90s, when you're watching a Hollywood movie, there's still a tone of this is Hollywood, this is fake. And now as we moved into the 2000s and into modern time, it's like now the mentality is you watch you watch Hollywood movies, you watch reality television, and you think I need to make my actual life look like that thing <laughs> and right. reflect it back. And so that's where like it crosses over in Scream 3 from into the real world is like, no, like this, ha- do you know what I mean? Yes. And then into Scream. Um, And then I feel like that heightens so much in Scream 4 with them being like, we want to make this real. Like, this was a movie to us because we were kids when it happened. We want to make this real for us so that we get to live this story. And I feel like that's kind of the... And I hope that they use that map to figure out whatever they're going to do in 5. Will they? I hope so too. Because I do feel like it's... What's interesting is that over the last 10 years, like with the explosion of like the Robert Durst documentary. I just feel like, and all of those murder documentaries that are out, I just feel like everyone is now in this, everyone is in this world in some way. Like the whole world has become this, this place where like fame and murder are now so intrinsically wrapped together. um, And where like nothing is innocent, you know? Yeah, very much so. I feel like, what was I gonna say? Oh, like, what are what are your guys's hopes for five and fears for five? I, Brian, please, please, actually, you you go ahead. 
Okay, I haven't seen the trailer for five yet. I uh, good for you. I am. I, uh, I don't know what I want. I think I would say this is not a spoiler. I would say the information five reveals is that Dewey, um, Brenda, and Sydney are back together, and there are murders. Like there's not much <laughs> revealed. Like it's not. I think deliberately so. Okay. So, all right, my hopes for five is that the cast is banging. Um, and <laughs> I don't, I really don't know. I just like hope there's like cool stuff. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, yeah, it's just like, I just want to like go on a journey and like, you know, have my mind blown in a way. I guess, I mean, totally. so Brian, did you see the new Matrix movie? No. And okay, well, that's okay, but I'm just gonna <laughs> share my opinions. Whether okay, okay, Jake just saw it and we were talking about it. And what I was just saying to Jake was like, the culture has changed, and like the culture is so ready for a new Matrix. And this new Matrix movie was so like bogged down by like the last movies and like the story of these characters. And it was like, I want, I want it to like talk to what's going on now. And I want the next Scream movie to, like, answer to how the last 10 years have changed. And, like, when they released that bad remake of Carrie with Chloe Grace Moretz, they were like, what if we updated it so that the girls have cell phones? And it was like, that's not the update that needs, like, you need to go in and, like, bring it here. So I just want it to, I think it needs to deal with, like, the the way that everyone on earth everyone in in america at least is now like an amateur murder expert basically and like people are listening to murder podcasts all day like i want it to go there um what about you jake um i think that the murder podcasting is like almost inevitable like there's yeah. no way i feel like that already was happening i mean that happened i don't know if you guys watched it but that is on the show like scream the series oh like, okay oh really yeah the the like Jamie Kennedy character on the show is like a murder podcaster. Um, And it like plays in pretty heavily. Um, So I think that like, there's definitely that, like, I think that something of that energy will be present. And I think like, I think it could be fun. I I don't want it to get like political. Like I don't need Scream meets QAnon or anything like that. Or like the new Halloween movie, yeah. Yeah, but I do think you could do something with like, I think there's something to be interesting. There's something interesting to be done about like what happens when the internet has gotten to a place where you can't 100%, there's always like an alternative fact. Like nothing is like concretely believed or denied. It's like, you just can decide what webpage to look at to tell you what the truth is. And just, you just have to believe that that's the truth. And like, I think that could be interesting. Um, And that's very Scream. Like That's very Scream, yeah. The thing with Scream is that um, Sydney is really the only sane person. Like, Gail has this hero redemption arc, but, like, the idea is that anyone can be compromised. And that's why Scream 4 is so good, ultimately, because, like, who you think is going to be the new final girl is actually you know very compromised and i do you know the liev schreiber cotton weary storyline is really good with that of like this thing that is so real and horrific and traumatic is actually a bargaining chip for other people and like something that can be negotiated and it like can be uh spectacularized and serialized and i mean scream 2 is great because and scream 3 because when nev campbell is wandering into the set of stab she's like what's going on like this is my life you know yeah and i think part of it is like i think a, a a recurring theme throughout all of the scream movies that i think is really brilliant is this notion of sort of like the crushing pressure in life to know what your role is or figure out what your role is like to know like what am i meant to do with life what's my purpose like where do i fit in what is like my destiny and it's like in this weird reverse psychological way sydney has the ultimate gift because her role is to just survive she's too busy trying to survive to ever have to wonder like 
You know, it's like, it's the curse of being, it's the, the, the chosen one sort of thing. It's like the same with Harry yes. Potter. It's like, you know, you don't have to think about, you don't have to have like identity crises about like, who am I or what am I meant to do? Cause it's very clear. It's like, you just got to run and fight. Like that's all you yes. have to do. And there's like a weird gift in that. And it's like, you know, Stu and Billy, part of it is like, they're not knowing. There's obviously like the motive, the driving motive of like, um, the revenge against their dad but it's also this thing of like I'm a what if I just take on the role of a killer and now I know who I am now I know where I fit within this I think that's Timothy Oliphant and then that's definitely Emma and is it Rory Culkin one of the Culkins um, I think it's Rory yeah he's but it's so like weird but it's like <laughs> I think you know that's sort of this thing of like you can take on a role and it like, it helps with that. And I think that has only heightened over the past 10 years is this sort of thing about like taking on an identity and stuff. And no, that's out. so interesting. Like the idea of the trauma identity, I think is a really big thing of like, this totally. happened to me and now I'm going to pen an essay on Jezebel about it. And like, Sydney is the antithesis of that. And yeah, you're right. Like what makes the Emma Roberts character so great and thinks so disappointing for Sydney is like Sydney's like okay there's another one like me now and then Emma Roberts is like actually no like I want to be a star and Sydney's like okay well bitch you're gonna die like you the only way to get through is by like not giving in and you already you've already lost you know yeah would you guys ever pretend like did you ever pretend like previously in your past that like you were like fully being chased by like Ghostface <laughs> in movie theaters when i was younger and i'd have to leave the movie to go to the bathroom i would like run to the bathroom as if i was being chased oh my god same that is a queer experience <laughs> the like there the, there's something so mystical about the energy of the movie theater between showings when there's no one else around yes. that is like it feels yes. like you're in a movie it feels like you're in disney world it feels like you're on some sort of set where it's like it's the same energy as um the they're like the most serene feeling in the world which is the walk to the bathroom in school do you know what i mean like when class yes. is in session and yeah. like the liminal the space hall, the hall like something something's different and that is a place to imagine you are being chased by a killer i think <laughs> yeah it's, <laughs> it's a liminal like, space to run down like an empty hallway and like try to open doors or whatever is <laughs> <laughs> it feels so good yeah and like to throw things to be like, you know what I mean? Like I've, I I would love to one day get to a place. I mean, I don't ever want to be chased by a killer for obvious reasons, but like <laughs> the idea of running and like throwing something behind you to like block their path, yes. very fun. Well, I think what's interesting, cause what I, one of the, I love everything about Scream too, but like Sarah Michelle Gellar has this really interesting part in it where she's like, I want to be a final girl. I don't want it to be complicated. I'm shooting Buffy 22 episodes uh, a year. Just like, give me something. And she has this really very classical, just like she's running up a stairs. She pushes a bike at him. He catches <laughs> her. He he kills her. He throws her out, out a balcony. And it's like, oh, that must just, she really just like kind of wanted to have fun, which is like, I want to scream. I want to run around. I want to answer the phone, you know? Yeah. Like a dream. That's like my dream day. And it's, you have the hair. <laughs> I mean, that is like that is part of what is so delicious in Scream. Like the the fucking um the like triple level intro to Scream 4, where it's like the girls <sighs> from Pretty Little Liars into Kristen that. Bell and Anna Paquin into the girl from Friday Night Lights, and that's the real one. Like it takes three levels to get there. Is so I could have watched good. like two hours of that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Just like <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I agree. And like, actually, that's like what I said to Jake. Uh, okay, I told you this, Brian. Like, but wait, like is new- it going to be, oh, is Scream 5 going to open up with like Charlie D'Amelio killing Addison Ray? Like, is that what's going <laughs> to happen? <laughs> they have to take it. It has to. That's the thing with the Screams is like the opening has to be the, the opening it, it, and ending has to be a gag, you know? Always, always. Because Scream 4, I think a lot of Scream 4, the, like, the bulk of the movie, I'm like, okay, we're, like, 
you know, Courtney and David are getting divorced. Like Wes Anderson's kind of in his final years. Like, okay, but the beginning and the end of Scream 4, you're just like, okay, fuck, they got me. Like, they got me so hard. And yeah. Scream 5, I'm like, girls, you just got to bring it. Like, you got to do, you got to flip it, you yeah, know? Anytime you feel lost, if there's no wind in your sails while you're making Scream 5, just go back and watch the clip of Emma Roberts running full tilt at a wall and just be like, <laughs> this is the <laughs> This is the energy that needs to be there. It's so good. The yeah, Emma Roberts, I, the Emma Roberts, like setting the scene after she thinks Sydney's dead montage is uh, like heaven. Yeah, it's like it's a classic thing of like I could do that. <laughs> well, I do, Brian, think like that idea of like your Emma Roberts or your Lori Metcalf, and you get the call, and it's like why don't you read these pages of your monologue that we're going to give you? And Laurie Metcalf, like Tony winner, Tony Emmy winner is like, you know what? Like, this is like Laurie Metcalf has pages of monologues and Emma Roberts does too at the end. And it's like, this is pure fun. Like it's yes. so, it's so like meaty, you know? Yeah. There I can't, I mean, I think Matthew, I genuinely think Matthew Lillard should have an Oscar for screen one for best supporting. I agree. It is, there's nothing like it on earth. Like there is no, I can't compare that to any other performance. It's genius. Yeah. What's Matthew up to these I, days? Yeah. I feel like he's just like on Twitter. I, I don't really know I what he I think he has a podcast. I think oh. he acts. I think he does a lot of voice acting maybe. I recently looked this up and I, but I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. I think you know, Jake, what you were saying earlier about Scream 2, about her, like, not Scream 2, about um, Sydney generally being the chosen one. Yeah. I do think Scream 2 is, like, the most Buffy of them, because Scream 2, it's, like, her trying to have a normal life when she still thinks that that's possible. And, like, yeah. her just realizing, like, no, you've been chosen for, for this thing, and, like, you have to face it. And especially the scene in scream 2 where she's like talking to her theater teacher and then she does she is in a performance of electra uh as cassandra it's like that's what i love about scream 2 is that it's so dramatic and it's like it it mythologizes sydney no longer just as like incidentally the survivor but like she becomes like the ultimate final girl you know yes and like, and also in this way where it's like, you, you're going to be this thing. So get good at it. Like when she double taps yes. Lori at the end, it's like, she's like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, if this is going to be me, I'm going to do it right. And I know how to do this and kind of take on the onus of like, you know, some girls are gymnasts and I'm a final girl. Like that's like my calling in life. And I think that's like what scream two is. And that's why scream like, I think Scream 3 has an energy of, the Scream 3 is like, oh, you guys all think this is a game. You're making it into a movie. And then Scream 4 is kind of like, oh, you young idiots. Like, you think you got this, but like, trust me, like, just let the pros handle it. You know what I mean? Yes. And Scream 4, she has that great line to Emma Roberts where she's like, you'll slip. They always do. And it's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and in Scream 2, I love maybe like one of my favorite parts of that movie is this first of all scream 2 is just so good and like i think all the murders are so creative but the scene where she and her roommate hallie are trapped in the car with the killer and the killer's unconscious and she has to crawl over the killer and Genius. she has this line to herself where she's like i hate this shit. <laughs> yes. yes that scene was it, so yeah. pivotal for me as a child tell me <laughs> Mostly just I was like, anytime I was in the backseat of a car, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to crawl over this person. <laughs> <laughs> <To get out. laughs> well, also the scene in, in Buffy when Buffy and Faith get arrested and they're both in the backseat of the car, of the cop car, and they oh, decide to break out. So and they both just like kick the wiring and like crash the car and leave. It's like there's a lot of like girls in the backs of cars having to break out. <laughs> yeah. That's the that sequel to convinced. driving in cars with boys is girls in the back <laughs> of the car that need to break out. Yeah. Um, I just think like there's something in Scream 2 where Nev Campbell is like, 
this is not just like a freak thing that happened to me. Like this is reality now. And, and I like, as the movies progress, they do this thing, like, especially in scream three and scream four and probably in the new one where David Arquette, it's like Nev Campbell's living her life. David Arquette calls her and he's like, it's happening again. And she's like, okay. Like it's just, (laughs) it becomes this thing where like the murder metaphor gets stronger, I think, because it's no longer like a random thing that happens in small town America. It's like, this actually is America now. And like, if you're Nev Campbell, you're just either going to hide or you're going to fight. And if you're everyone else, you're going to like, you're, you're a part of it, you know? Okay. I have a question. Please. Kind of relating back to the predictions for Scream 5. What do you guys think Nev Campbell's character has been up to these past, like, however many years? I, do you think she's still in, like, California? Yes. I, don't know why I was like, why are you still in California, girl? <laughs> Move. I know. Move. <laughs> there, Ghostface isn't going to go, like, to Europe, you know? I would love if they showed her, like, fucking like i would love if they showed her like having like with a with a man or like having some active relationships and not just being like yeah this lone warrior but you know i i hope her career as an author is um going well i think sydney um is probably very antisocial. i think she's got yeah. i don't think she loves the people um i see her working I see her taking a lot of self-defense classes and <laughs> finding people very annoying. And I see her like, in terms of like her job, I'm like, maybe she works in, I bet it's like an on, it's it's going to be like internet-y. It's going to, not like media, but like, yeah. I don't know. She, I bet they're going to have her running a nonprofit, like to help women or something. And my dream is that Gail Weathers is a Fox News correspondent. Like I want Gail- That's not what's gonna happen, I feel like, but- Fuck. Cause that was my biggest issue with Scream 4 is I was like, Gail would not, like Gail is not sitting in the suburbs. I'm sorry, like Gail needs a mission. What would be genius is if it's it's a little bit of like, Gail has fallen a little bit and Gail yeah. is the My Favorite Murder podcaster and Sydney's kind yes. of like, this is gross. Like, it's gross oh that you God. do this. Because Gail, like, would because the check is so good. Like, those podcasts make so much money that Gail probably would and could because she's Gail Weathers. And yeah. who I'm realizing earlier this podcast, I called Brenda. Why did I do Brenda, that? I didn't want to say anything. And that is, you know. <laughs> oh, it's because you're wearing a 90210 shirt. That's literally what it was. Thank you, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I that makes so much sense. Like, I think that's what she'll be doing. Um, she's like, Sydney, be a guest, and Sydney's like, no, never, yeah, fuck off. Yeah, (laughs) I think like Gail, Gail to me, first of all, I told you both this, but like, I, I was watching the Scream making of special features recently, like Scream One, and there's this interview with Courtney Cox where she's like. I wanted Gail Weathers because I wanted to play a bitch. I was on Friends and I really didn't want to always be that role and I wanted to be a bitch. And it's like, okay, so you're iconic, first of all. Secondly, like, Gail does this thing that I love that I think about. It's kind of like Magneto in the X-Men movies where it's like, she is just this X factor that takes the movies and actually, like, the reason that there, I have a lot of issues with the new Halloween movies and like the latest one I really struggled with. And like, they don't really have a Gail Weathers and they need one. Like they need that other, they need that countervailing force that like kind of throws everything into chaos. And I, especially with Scream, actually the first, the whole first trilogy, like Gail is as essential as, um, Nev Campbell and she like makes Nev Campbell a little tougher, you know? Yeah, she's this buff. She acts as a buffer where she gets to exist as the moral gray area between the evil and the pure good that is Sydney and kind of like pull Sydney just far enough into the dark side to get shit done. But the stuff that really needs you to get up in the dirt, uh, Gail will do. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, and it also, it creates this, it creates like a more fully 360 world of like morality where it's like 
Brent, why do I keep calling her Brenda? I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Gail, Gail, like, um, um, my thought is coming back now that I get her, her I have her name right. Gail, like, um, is not a wholly good person, but right. she's not evil. She's not going to kill. She has emotions. She's not a sociopath. She's, like, going to get shit done, and she's, like, not an idealist but she's like it's a it's that conversation of like good people versus nice people and i think at the at her core gail weathers is a good person to a neutral person but she's not evil and it's like that showing that kind of makes things a little bit more rich so that we then see like who the evil evil is i love the scene in scream 2 when um cotton weary has just been arrested for like harassing Sydney in the library and Gail is like bitch what are you doing like he's like Gail you promised me my moment with Sydney and she's like what do you think is going on like people are dying like I like how they how it's scream 2 is like Gail's movie uh Gail has like a full arc and I love when she's like I want to get this fucker but like scream 2 Gail is like okay I'm not I'm not as I'm not a sociopath. Like I actually do. I I want the story, but like I I, I have a part to play in the story. And um, she's falling in love. With, she's falling in love with Dewey, which is making yes. her realize what she actually might care about. Yeah. Right. Um, and then Scream One. She's just like. I just don't think they write characters like that anymore. Like she's just fabulous. She's fabulous. She's over the top. I'm a Courtney Cox stan. Do you guys know this about me? Like, I've watched oh. every episode of Cougar Town. Every single episode. Okay, that's right. <laughs> and there were a lot. Um, and it was good. Like, I love, I love Courtney. And I think, I don't know if she doesn't work. Like, I, I think she's so good at comedy and, like, dark comedy. Yeah. Like, in a way that she doesn't get. I, I just feel like she should be, like, and she doesn't need to work, like Lord knows, between Scream and Friends, the girl, the woman's very much fine. But like, I just selfishly would love to see her have, like she had Cougar Town and she had a show that no one remembers called Dirt, where she played like an evil TMZ <sighs> magnate. Named um, Lucy Spiller. Genius, go back and watch Dirt, it's good. One of the main plot lines is that she needs to get choked to come. Um, yeah. but like it's so <laughs> good. Like HBR show. Oh, FX baby. If FX. It's, it's, FX. It's, and this is Nip Tuck era FX. So like this is really the truth. This is okay. like me watching on the lowest volume in my bedroom with my finger on the previous channel button so yes. that I could change it to Nick at night if my mom came in. Yes. Um, yes. Watching Dirt on FX, but like Courtney is due for a show like that again. Like now. I agree. Like. It, and I think that could bring back those kind of characters because I think that is a specific kind of character that Courtney is so good at. I just think Scream 1, like when I watch her in Scream 1, I'm like, so you're a movie star one and like you are cinema. Like the shot, first of all, her costumes in Scream 1 to die for. And it's to like- To die for. It's I think it's she bar- it's either the same costume designer as Romy and Michelle, or it's like the costume designer of Romy and Michelle, they were friends and she like borrowed a jacket from that movie. But like Gail Weathers is, she just like arrives on the scene and she just like is, it, she is like, it, it. I'm trying to explain this. Like to me, it's like a classic cinematic arrival is when that character shows up in town where you're just yeah. like, I'm watching Lois Lane, I'm watching Catherine Hepburn, like I am watching like a real only in the movies type of character. And I agree with you, Jake, like a, her range in that movie, like I think Nev Campbell does this thing so well. I think Courtney Cox, like she has these really campy bitchy lines that are so funny. Like the scene when she gets in the van in Scream 1 and the blood is coming down and she like, she screams, her camera guy's body falls off. It's like really funny, but also really fucked up. And like, she's doing all of it, you know? Do you know what I think part of it might be? is like in the 90s and in the early two, it, you would expect the way that like 
how male dominated Hollywood works, oftentimes in horror movies and especially like irreverent horror movies, the like cunty bitchy woman will get a torturous, brutal death scene to like yes. put her in her place. Like that's what happens. And you would expect that of, of Gail at all times is like, they're gonna just gut her and be like, this look at this smug bitch now, like see where she ended up. And they never do. Like she always ends up on top because she is that bitch. She is smart. She, you know what I mean? And I think as like gay men and I think probably women too watching it, it's like very gratifying to be like, oh yeah, this woman's a fucking boss. And this movie isn't gonna like punish her for it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, especially what I love about Scream 1, Scream 2, and I would definitely say Scream 4 as well, is like, yeah, David Arquette's usually there, but really, all of those movies end with Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox, like, standing over the body of the killer, usually with multiple guns in their hands, and it's like... Oh, yeah, and Dewey is, like, practically dead every time. Always, (laughs) always. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, like, you have this triumphant image of these two sort of feminine feminine like warrior archetypes which is like gail who's the kind of power monger bitch and sydney who's the like uh victim turned survivor and they're both just like i don't even particularly like you but like will you help me out like let's let's fucking kill these guys um i don't know there's something about that like that nothing else ever captures you know i see a world where scream five is about like is sort of almost a commentary on cancel culture where they start to frame um Gail, Dewey and Sydney for all the old murders and be like these I people act- you know what I mean and it's like they actually did it and ever and like society starts to turn on them and think they did it but there's clearly like a new killer out there that's scream like that to that's me scream. that's what I want you know yeah wait I'm actually really hoping that's what happens I would write that I movie know. in a heartbeat <laughs> Got, I, yeah. Hi, producers of Scream. If you didn't do that for Scream Five, call me. I'll write Scream Six. <laughs> I'll do it. Send this to the producers of Scream. I'm not joking. You know, my issue with I had a lot of issues with the new Matrix, but I felt like the new Matrix, which did a Matrix in a Matrix, I was like, you guys want to be Scream? It, it was there were so many scenes in the new Matrix that reminded me of Scream Three and Scream Four, and I was like, you you're doing what Scream 3 and Scream 4 did, but Scream 3 and Scream 4 did it better, in my opinion. And, like, that sort of a thing of, like, we are taking this thing that happened in the original and we're inverting it. I don't think any movie does that like Scream 3 and Scream 4 do. And they, I just think, like, it's... What they pull off is really insane, you know? Yeah, I don't think I would be who I am without Scream. I feel like... They invent, I don't, I just feel like in like the 90s, they kind of like invented like <laughs> satire or like meta or whatever. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I, I kind of just like didn't know that existed on like such like that type of level. And then I was like, wait, this is like what my life is. And it's just been like that ever since. Brian, can you explain to us or explain to viewers who maybe aren't as familiar, like what is Parker Posey's role in Scream 3? <laughs> um, to literally be a cartoon in the Scream thing. <laughs> she's like, everything she does is insane. There's a part where they're in the car and she's like in the backseat and Courtney Cox and David Arquette are in the front. And then they get a call to like go to the house because Sydney's supposed to be there. Parker like leans in between the two. She puts her ear like up to the phone to listen in. And then when they both tell her to shut up, she like in, is in the back seat. Like there's, there's no zoom in or anything, but she just like cups like her, her legs to her chest. Like she's like a child or something. <laughs> I'm like, it's everything she does is so good in that movie. And yeah, that's what I want to do. It's a purely comedic. It's like, they're like you are in best in show you're gonna or maybe that hadn't even come out yet but they were like you are going to do a purely comedic performance where you are the foil to courtney cox who is playing courtney cox in a movie version of this movie that you're in and you're just gonna die at the end like that's it it's genius it's it's like it's 
true it's pure magic it's like that's <laughs> it's everything and they have her dating david arquette like it's so there's a lot there she does not a single thing in that movie that is like normal you know <laughs> <laughs> even the way she like walks is just like so like like people don't like move like that you know <laughs> brian have you seen the blade movies I, i've seen the first one so the main like one of the main villains of blade three is parker posey as a vampire like she is the <laughs> villain of the movie of an action movie and it oh is like God. so insane to watch in the best way in oh uh in her memoir she talks about how when she got offered blade three she was like i'm not doing this vampires are stupid and her team at like uta was like parker you really need to show hollywood that you're a team player because you're getting a reputation for being like a difficult indie actress so she was like fine i'll do it so she's doing blade trinity which is this like 150 million dollar movie and they like have her on the rig where she's like on a flight rig and she keeps turning to the director being like i don't think my character would do this like maybe my character should have a scene where i'm doing doing that and and they keep being like thank you for that suggestion parker like as if blade 3 is gonna like take any of her suggestions for how she would want to like improvise the character but scream 3 is like a perfect fit for her where it's like 100%. she can really go wild yeah i mean it's also genius like <sighs> All of the Blade movies after Blade, Jesus Christ. <laughs> All of the Scream movies after Scream 1 have a running theme about like how fame makes you act makes people act crazy around famous yes. people. Like yes. that's like a recurring theme and I think that is so rife for comedic slash dramatic performance. Like this that tone where it's like funny how these people are acting but there is also like a darkness to it like the, you know what i mean and that's and so prevalent in, in scream like, especially three four. yeah and like in scream three emily mortimer who's playing sydney like they have that scene where she meets sydney and she's like i wanted to make you proud and nev campbell's just like okay yeah. <laughs> like don't talk like don't put this on me like i'm not we're not the same like i don't want to be this you know i want to say that to somebody I wanted to make you proud, to... Sydney. <laughs> um, what does Sydney's mom say when she's like, you're poison, you're just like me, you know, in Scream 3? Nice. Um, oh my God. I think Jenny McCarthy's death in Scream 3, Jenny McCarthy's death where she's reading the script of her own murder as she's about to be murdered, it's like, you know, how do you top that? by starting an anti-vax movement that kills millions. Thank you. Because <laughs> that was her next move. She is she is a very powerful Scorpio, uh, it needs to be said. Um, yeah, um, I also think like the scene, this to me is like, I wish the Matrix, I wish the Wachowskis had watched Scream 3 and maybe they did, but like the scene where Sydney is going into a set of her childhood home from Scream 1, that's like a higher level, you know? Like that's like, we've gone all the way. Yes. Well, making it, yeah, making it about, that is what also makes it, it is, that is the only reason I do get nervous for Five is because they've had such beautiful full circle moment moments. Like, I feel like, Scream 3 closed the circle of like the movie Hollywood commentary on it because we like yeah. went into the movie and then Scream 4 kind of closed the circle on like fandom culture like unwanting yeah. the fame so it's like what does Scream 5 close the loop on and I'm not saying it's impossible I'm just like that's kind of like what you have to think about because it's like you don't want to reopen these things we kind of nailed like we kind of got them you know what I mean we talked about them in a really whole 360 way and scream 4 like i think scream 4 definitively subverted the entire final girl narrative no one i like, don't feel like people i don't feel like do people say that twist was predictable because i was like oh god no. like uh, no one no uh, uh, maybe anyone who does i'm like 
uh, I, there's no way. And just like the the level that they took it to of like Emma Roberts trying to kill Sydney on her hospital bed, like I, I just don't no no no. And and it that also yeah. it also continues this dynasty I was talking about of like things aging beyond the movie in a way that like they couldn't have known like when that movie came out like emma emma roberts wasn't known as like kind of a villain in this way that's like like i love emma roberts but like do i want to run into her when she's like having a bad day like absolutely not do you know what i mean it's like she kind of has that reputation i will say though one time i saw emma roberts and evan peters walking down the sidewalk in near union square and someone stopped them for an autograph and my stomach dropped because i was like emma roberts is gonna rip this woman's head off and she's so kind of was like oh my god yeah let me get a sharpie pulled a sharpie out like signed this girl's thing and like <sighs> kept going and i like was like Oh yeah, because like gossip is gossip. Like this isn't Dumois. Like she's right. a normal person. <laughs> but like I actually was like, that Emma Roberts is gonna kill that girl, and then like didn't. She's like totally nice to her. I feel like and in her head she so. did kill that girl. Yeah, <laughs> she fully she, just like she used like a marker that has anthrax in it, and yeah. she's like that bitch will die in five days. Like, <laughs> but you are right. There is this thing where it's like it, it did. You're right. Like Emma Roberts, they do kind of. It, it really was a gag at that moment. Like she didn't have that edge to her yet. She really was kind of like a teen girl who she, was Julia. She Roberts had had like a Nickelodeon piece. show. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I think I really had issues with the, did either of you see the, the newest Halloween movie? No, no. And okay. Well, but I know all about it. I like read a lot. It like, okay. They like try to bring in this, like, trump's america like they try to like take it way too political um and i was like you know why don't you leave this for scream like you yeah. this is not your job like halloween is like purely about feminine it's halloween is purely like warrior feminism mm -hmm. and um and also just like jungian confrontations with like mortality but scream it's like i am down for people like the way the country has gone the way that like school shootings have become a thing like all of that i'm like scream can do whatever it wants like i am i hope that scream can yeah i, I like your idea of nev campbell courtney cox and david arquette like as these constant survivors then being gaslit into like well, they're the villains. They did it. And know? being gaslit with that language of like being like, oh, like Sydney being like, you don't know what it was like. I, You haven't been gone through this. And they're being like, oh, so she's gatekeeping now. Do you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. <laughs> like they can like, it, it has this right thing. But the, and the thing is like, I think part of what you're talking about is like in terms of saying like, leave it to scream for like the Halloween movies is like the scream movies have always been since the first one commentary, like, Yes. They are by design commentary pieces. Like the first one is a commentary on like horror movies and like 90s film culture. And then like, it just goes from there. Whereas yeah. like, and they're like, they're like commentaries before their horror movies. Like they're commentaries yes. first. And like uh, Halloween is like a slasher first. And then like, what is the commentary behind it? Warrior feminism. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like- Exactly. Scream can kind of take on any topic if done well. And it doesn't feel forced because it's always been commentating. The whole time you're right you're right i think like for a long time for a long time the opening of scream 2 with jada pinkett's death i was always like this is so weird but then once i understood that it was literally kevin williamson being like oh you want to say that our movie is part of this debate about like violence and about like the scream movies causing violence like i will put you in the movie theater with a woman who dies and i will like recenter this whole thing like I, I do like what you're saying where it's like they have to decide on the they have to decide on what they want to satirize and then the murders follow and then it's yeah. really good like and and that's scream 2 all the murders are really about like surveillance and like performance like um dewey almost gets killed in like a sound recording studio oh my God, it's so good it's so good and and courtney cox like gives the performance of a lifetime when the killer's trying to get into the sound room and she's just like screaming um <laughs> and scream three like all of the murders are 
based on the idea that they're already in a movie. I think some of the killings in Scream 4 aren't my favorite just because I don't feel like there's anything going on with them until like, unless the one's at the very beginning and the very end. And I think you're right, Jake, like the, if, if the commentary comes first, the murders and like the setting get to realign with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like when scream is at its best because it knows what it always knows what it's talking about, you know, and that is what I hope they do for five. And I have, the thing is like, I actually really trust, like, I think Nev, Courtney and Dave, David, like know the tone, like the way they perform the movie so well, I think they also kind of know these things that we're talking about. And I have yeah. faith that if the script had been like totally devoid of any of that, they would have been like, no. Cause like at some point, like, I agree. sure. Like they all, not none of them need mm, David might, but like they don't like Courtney and Nev don't need like ten million dollars. You know what I mean? They like are they happy to get it? Sure, but I do think at that point you get these scripts for these like beloved franchises, and there's definitely like a protective element. You know what I mean? Where it's like this if this was truly bad, I don't know that they would do it. You know, I think with them going back to Woodsboro again, what I want it to be. I think it needs to be stated that like the idea. Do you know who one of the main characters in the new one is going to be? One of the Woodsboro girls is going to be who? Taisa from Yellow Jackets. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, Brian, are you a Yellow Jackets girl? No, I. Babe, you got to get on Yellow Jackets. I know. Brian, you'll be a Yellow Jackets girl. I think. I think I will be by the end of the week. Okay, it's it has a lot of things. Yeah. Um. It has a lot of things like that you like. Um, (laughs) I think like what I want them to do with them going back to Woodsboro is like the idea of Woodsboro, like the idea of an idyllic town, um, which in 1996, there was like this sort of thing. You know, there's always a lie to this. There's always this, there's always betrayal and rape and murder in these sorts of places. Mm -hmm. What I want them to do now that we're going back for like the third time is this idea of like the, the small town doesn't exist. Like this is completely a fantasy and like to play with that a lot because they, in Scream 4, they were like, yeah, we're going back to Woodsboro. And then it all just kind of, and they're like, we're going to introduce a new cast of teens. And then they kill all of them, which is so psycho. And in this, I'm like, I want them to, I want Woodsboro to feel as surreal as the set of Woodsboro in Scream 3, you know? Because it yeah. it doesn't exist anymore. Totally. I think, I see a world where it is. I would also love, they never confirmed that Hayden Panettiere was dead at the end of Scream 4, and I would love a Hayden pop-up. Like, if imagine, it wouldn't make sense, but imagine if at the end of Scream 5, they unmask Ghostface and it's Hayden Panettiere. And and she's four foot tall. I will throw my phone (laughs) overhand, full speed at the Scream, enjoy. I will be so excited. I mean, I have to say, I really didn't want her to die because of all the actors in Scream 4. She was the 4. best like, part of Scream 4. She really gives it. I think yeah. she really, like, she gets one of the better monologues of the franchise. And, like, she really tears it. And I was really sad that she died because I was like, God, you had to kill her too? Like, give me. And it's it a blood pissed bath. me off. And that Rory kills her. Like, it's not even I Emma. Know. I was like, I, that That would have been good. If Emma oh, had killed if her. Emma had killed her. It would have been better. Yeah, Rory, he really creeps me out. He he unsettles me. Um, is he the one that's on Succession? I, I don't think it's Rory. No, it's, it's his brother. Like Kier- oh, wait, yeah, it is Rory because Kieran is Succession. Right, okay. Right. Uh, as Ruby says, the, the Culkins are New York's only acting dynasty um, because they all are from Manhattan. Um, okay. Um I, I'm wondering what, I, yeah, it's weird also that Patrick Dempsey survives and like literally no one else ever survives these movies. It's like he gets to live and not Hayden Panettiere, not Sydney's roommate Hallie. Like, give me a break, you know? I forgot Patrick Dempsey is in Scream 4. Yeah, Scream 3. Oh, right. Sorry. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. D- Detective um, Kincaid. <laughs> 
nice throwback. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm I'm curious. Like, do we are there any other favorite scenes or performances or moments or outfits that that we need to cover? I mean, I think just all three or all of Brenda's hairstyle. Brenda, oh my fucking Brenda's. god! All of Gail's hairstyles <laughs> are so iconic. Um, yeah. I think my favorite is two. The chunky highlights in two are really something else. <laughs> Those highlights are insane. They're so insane. I love them so much. I mean, I just think like her look in Scream 1 when she's at the high school and she's in like the full look with the bangs and she's just like, hi. It's like she looks in it, it's outrageous. Like it is so outrageous. And also I love her look in the party scene in Scream One when she like goes into the teen house party and everyone's like, I love your show. And she's like, uh-huh. And she's wearing that cute little headband. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Brian, yeah. do you have Scream any two, any favorites? Scream two, I there I felt like there was just so much like leather slash pleather in that yes. one. Yes. And I was like, damn, I need to get some of this. Like literally Scream every, two every is yeah. or pants, pants, like leather pants. I'm like, ugh. wait, genuine question is, are, do we know if anywhere in New York is doing a midnight showing like a, a thir- mid- midnight showing on the 13th? Um, I know that there's some 7 PM showings on the 13th, actually. Wait, because um, I have to fly to Nashville on the, on the Friday. I need to see it on the Thursday. So we're going on Thursday. Um, so we are going on Thursday and okay. that's just what's happening. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't want to see, I like Brian, I have avoided watching the trailer. Um, I have actually just, I've only heard it because um, every time I went to see Dune, they had a dream trailer and I would put a coat over my face so I wouldn't have anything ruined. So I want to go on screen. I don't want any homosexuals on Twitter to ruin anything for me. I know. Um, I don't want to hear any takes. I have to just see it fresh. Because yeah, when I saw Scream 4 in theaters and that happened with Emma Roberts, I was like, okay, I can still be really gagged out of my mind, you know? Wait, so it comes out next Friday slash Thursday. Slash Thursday, um, which is, I know it's- And I have a show at 8 p.m. and I'm like, do I cancel the show? Um, let me make some phone calls, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll see, I'll see what's possible for us. Um, I have no doubt that we can, we can make something. Yeah. Work. I'm going to, I'm going to look into it. Uh, make the last thing I want to say is, yeah, you know, do I do think, I, I just want to say like Rose McGowan's work in Scream 1, um, and Drew Barrymore's work in uh. Scream 1. I just think like. I'm always going to believe that those women are geniuses uh, because of their work, you know? I agree. Ooh, okay, wait, I found some scream show times at work, so we're gonna do okay, it, good. I found the times. And I, I also wanna say like, like um, you know, Drew Barrymore Rose is was- so good. I'm sorry, Rose is so good. She's incredible. Her skirt is so good. Like, <laughs> it's really that and Jawbreaker, you're like, oh, you were really on one. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, I saw this interview with Drew where she's like, they had offered her Sydney, and she was like, "I want to be CC." Um, and once Drew was the first actor they got, like once they got Drew, the movie basically was happening because it was kind of floating, and then like drew was like no i'm in and they were like okay well we have drew barrymore and then everyone else was like okay well well, i want to do this and then the movie just like came together so like drew barrymore producer producer of the charlie's angels movies and the producer of donnie darko like we owe her oh my god yeah drew is one of what is drew's sign pisces oh (laughs) brian just lit up pisces moon that's me yeah, X Factor. Um yeah, she's a Pisces. She she does have that ability to be like, I'm reading, I see something special and I can like tap into it. And she's the one who approached Demi more about Charlie's Angels too. She was the one who was like, Demi, it's gonna be fun. We wrote it for you. Like, let's just do it. And Demi was like, Okay, fine. You know? <laughs> um That's brilliant. Do we have any closing thoughts we'd like to share about Scream, Screamology, all of it? 
I feel like I say this about everything. Like I've been saying this about Sex in the City. I've been saying this about, but it's like, I would encourage you when you're going, approach it, hoping it's good. Don't approach it as a cynic, you know, approach. Yeah. I'm like, I'm an advocate of approaching things with the hope that they are good because I think sometimes, you know how like things oftentimes, I think like, you know, things that like, are panned at the time and then like 10 years later it's like what are you talking about that was incredible that is a product of people approaching the property with the assumption it's bad and watching it through that lens beforehand and then that lens fades over time and then the work stands for itself don't be caught looking like an asshole approach it if it's good as though it's good and if it's bad you will know like but approach it hoping hoping it's good brian um yeah i just feel like we're entering a cultural like touchstone with scream five and it will kind of like set the tone for the rest of the decade i feel like as scream four did too um you know scream four definitely set the tone for the last decade we all have iphones now because of scream four exactly um and yeah i agree with you jake because i think like it would have been easy to go to scream through scream four as a cynic and like that would have been a waste because as you know as Brian can attest, like Scream Three is a masterpiece that could be watched every day. You know? <laughs> um, where can people follow both of you in case they aren't already? Um, I am at Jake W Cornell on all platforms. Same, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but at Brian underscore Bahi. Okay, absolutely. Um, boys, really, thank you for this. Um, this Anytime. Is, this is major, and uh, I guess I'll see you when we go see it. Yes. I can't wait. Okay. Um, love you. Love you. The Luminaries is recorded with love in New York City. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe, share, rate, review, and etc. If you would like a tarot or astrology reading with me, David Odyssey, you can go to davidodyssey.com or follow me on Instagram, david underscore odyssey. And of course, be sure to read my nylon column and tell everyone you know about the Luminaries. I am excited for whatever the hell is coming next. Let's do it together. Mwah. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.